0: The scripture reading today is found in the book of Joshua, starting with chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. Please pray with me. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may hear your word with joy. Amen.
1: So next week we begin reading a section of the Old Testament called Kingdoms. And so Kingdoms begins in the book of Joshua that we just saw the video and and the passage was read from. And so I want to encourage you to go out and get uh, one of those Immersed Kingdoms Bibles. If you haven't done it yet, please go do that. So you can read along with us and engage in learning through God's Word through that section of the Old Testament. So it covers Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, where ultimately God grants the wish that Israel has for God to give them a king. And so we begin today just with an introduction. The reading's gonna start next Sunday, but we begin with an introduction from the book of Joshua, chapter 1. And as we saw in the Bible Project video, God uh, and Moses have selected Joshua to be the leader who's going to lead Israel into the promised land to complete the work that God had promised so many years before. God had made a promise 400 years earlier to Abraham, their forefather, that he would give to Abraham's descendants the land that Abraham had lived in. As a promise, as an inheritance, as a homeland. And time had gone by when Abraham was present. And eventually Abraham's uh, grandson Jacob and his sons all moved to Egypt because of a great famine. Joseph went first. They all followed later. Uh, And they were in Egypt because of the famine. They stayed in Egypt and eventually settled in there. But the Egyptians, they were small to begin with. They were about 70 of this group of family. But God blessed them. They multiplied. And the Egyptians became nervous. They had all these foreigners who were multiplying. And so they enslaved them. They made them become slaves. And they put them to work and hard work and difficult work. They continued to multiply God blessed them even though they were uh, in a difficult situation. Uh, The taskmasters made their life hard and their work hard. And the uh, the Israelis began to cry out to God, asking God to make good on his promise to deliver them back into this homeland that he promised for them. But his promises seemed so far away. And so finally God sent them a deliverer named Moses, who under the hand of God brought uh, the Israelis out of Egypt and eventually Moses was God's man. He brought literally the law that God gave to him, to the Israelites. He spoke to God almost face to face. Uh, and yet even G- Moses eventually grew discouraged with his own people. Um, they, they seemed to at times uh, become disobedient. They, they really struggled with unbelief in God, and even to the point where they wanted to stone Moses and go back to Egypt and become slaves again. And so they, they even reached eventually the edge of the promised land. And God encouraged them to go in, but they fall back in unbelief, and they spend another 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. But not everyone that day when they were on the edge of the promised land uh, shrank back in fear, but they had some, two guys had faith. And we know the Bible that said that there were two men that stood on the promise that God had, saying, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And those two people were Joshua and Caleb. So let me ask you a question. How do you think those two guys felt during the following 40 years as they wandered around in the wilderness? They spent 40 years still waiting on the promise of God. And yet I don't believe that those two guys were willing to give up because they knew the faithfulness of God, that God could be counted on. One of my favorite hymns of the church is uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It it goes this way in in the chorus. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord unto me. And so this great hymn of the church was written by a guy named Thomas Chisholm. And he didn't write this hymn because God had done some huge thing in his life or some miraculous thing, but no, instead, rather he wrote it because he was looking back over his life and he could just see the hand of God's faithfulness in his own journey. And at age 75, these are the words that he wrote. He said, My income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me until now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. It's important for us to see the faithfulness of God in receiving the promises of God. Moses had now passed away just because Moses had died. It didn't mean the plans of God were going to die. God pulls down, God raises up, and he raised up Joshua to become the leader who was going to finish the work that he had promised so many years earlier to Abraham. And God gave him three assurances in this specific passage that we look at in chapter 1 this morning. And I want us to look at it and kind of think about it, so because I think they can help us in receiving uh, the inherited promise that we have when we are in Christ Jesus. So let's kind of look back through that. So first of all, I want us to think about exactly what is a promise. The dictionary defines it as a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. The word promise comes from a Latin word, which means go forth. And so God sets forth what he will do. Genesis 17:8, God tells Abraham the whole land of Canaan. Where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So God had made a promise, right? He had told Abraham that he and his descendants would receive this land as an inheritance, of the land of Canaan. And even though 400 years had passed from Abraham until this moment that Joshua is taking leadership, the promise of God was still real and still genuine. 400 years is a long time, is it not? I mean, can we think back 400 years ago, how long ago that was? Do you know what happened 400 years ago last Sunday? The Mayflower landed in North America. Think about how long ago that was. That's a long time, isn't it? And if God had given a promise to our forefathers, could we still trust God, even if the promise hadn't yet transpired, that God was going to be faithful in delivering on that promise? So we see here in chapter 1 of Joshua that God spoke to Joshua and told him that my servant Moses is dead. And then he tells him to get ready and get the people ready to cross over the river Jordan to the land that he's going to give them. And we know that according to the last chapter of Deuteronomy, that Israel mourned Moses' death for 30 days. I can imagine there were many of the Israelites in that passing of Moses that felt like everything was lost. That what was the use of going on without Moses, their leader? God, God's man was dead. Maybe even Joshua himself felt that way. Maybe they wondered how they could continue onward after the death of Moses. God spoke and he told them to continue on, and he restates the promise he had given to Abraham 400 years earlier. He reminds Joshua, of a very important truth that we too need to be reminded of, that that God's work and God's promises are dependent upon God, not upon us, not upon man. He reminds Joshua that God is the blesser. In verse 2, God says, Into the land I'm about to give them. And in verse 3, God says, I will give you every place where you set foot, just as I promised Moses. He wants Joshua to see that he is the giver, not Moses nor anyone else. I want you to see this morning that God's great promises are bound up in his divine nature. God is the giver and God is the source of all of our blessings. Twice he declares to Joshua in this passage that he is the divine giver. Just because Moses had died didn't mean that the work and the promise of God would die out. God wanted Joshua to see that he was the giver, not Joshua. We too need to see God is our blesser too often we tend to look at the resources that we have and we think well they came from my job or my income or from my boss or you know my parents or you know we think that our ability is the key to what we have but like Israel we too are on a journey a journey to receive the fullness of God's inheritance in our lives in Christ Jesus and a journey that's going to have its ups and its downs, and just as, as Israel's did, and, and just like Israel, God wants us to see that He is the one who will help us make it through. James 1.17 tells us this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who's do, who does not change like shifting shadows. What What James is saying here is that God doesn't change. It's the very nature of God to give. Throughout the Bible, you find that God is giving over and over again. We see that he gives the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 28. He gives the law to Moses first and then to the people in Exodus 31. He gives rest to Israel at the end of Joshua chapter 22. He gives the kingdom to David in Second Chronicles chapter 13. He gives wisdom and honor and And wealth to Solomon in in 1 Kings chapter 4. He gives peace and rest to King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. He gives knowledge to Daniel in Daniel 1. I could just keep on going with God's giving nature. You cannot read the Bible and not see the giving of God. We need to realize that God is our source. He is our blesser. And he will be faithful in his promise to us to supply for us what we need and that for us to be able to receive our inheritance. The second observation is that God is faithful with his presence. Israel knew that God was with Moses. Moses's face literally shone as a reflection of his time spent in the presence of God. It's so much so that he had to wear a veil to cover this bright reflection. And there was no doubt that Joshua now had a heavy responsibility laid on his shoulders. He now became the leader who was going to lead these thousands of Israelites and, and lead them into taking over the promised land. What a huge job that he had to step into. And Joshua had already seen the people's response to Moses, even with the evidence that, Moses, that God was with Moses. The people had responded at times and rebelled and spoke out against Moses, even to the point of desiring Moses' death at times. And Joshua needed to know, was God with him? We too are like Joshua, right? We know the way is difficult. We know that it's not easy, that life itself is not easy. Job 14, 1 tells us, Man is born of a woman, is a few days, and full of trouble. We know that we have opposition. We know that we are going to have trouble in this life, right? We know that we're going to face hardships. We too need to know in our Christian walk, Is God going to be with us? Note that that God reassured Joshua two times in this passage, not just once, but twice, that he would be with him. God told him in verse 5 and then again in verse 9 that he's going to be with him. And I want us to notice two things. First, the strength of God's assurance that he was going to be with Joshua. He told him in verse 5, he said, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. There are two words I want us to look at in this passage that are the original Hebrew word. And the first is the word for leave or fail in this passage, which is rafa, which is to be feeble or to slack or to relax or to abandon. And this is translated as leave in our passage. In some translations, it's fail. I remember when we were raising our children, Connor and Rachel, there'd be times that I was responsible for them. And I had to pay attention to what they were doing or what they were not doing. And yet there were times, even when I was trying to pay attention, that something would grab my attention and my focus would shift away from them and I'd get my focus on something else. And then I'd remember, oh, wait, what are they doing? Where are they at? And I'd have to get back to them. You know, our complex minds, we think that we're able to focus on many things, but really, in reality, we can only focus on a few things. God is telling Joshua... I'm not going to fail you. My eye will always be on you. You will always be the center of my attention. God is not going to slack, does not relax when his children are concerned. The second word I want us to look at in the original language is to leave or to lose or to forsake or to neglect. It's translated in this passage as forsake. Now, Diane, my wife, will tell you that there are times that I forget things or I leave things and I don't remember where I leave them. Probably the one thing I I do that the most with is my cell phone. I don't know if anybody else has trouble with that, but every once in a while I forget where I leave this thing. Even, I wrote this, I wrote this message a couple days ago. You know what happened last night? I did a wedding here at the church and I forgot where I left my cell phone. So I was like looking all over the house and I realized I left it at the office. So there are times I wish that I could just tie this thing to my neck or, you know, bind it to my arm or something that I could keep, keep, I wouldn't lose it, forget where I had left it. But really what I want to say here is that, you know what, that, that you are bound to the heart of God. Okay. Here's the deal. I want to tell you this morning that you're bound to God by cords of love. God was telling Joshua that I'm not going to let loose of you. I'm not going to forsake you. I believe the same promise is available for us today. God's presence is always with us us, through good times, through hard times. For we are bound to him, literally. He's not going to let go of us. His attachment to you is so strong that you are bound to him. The author of Hebrews reiterates this in chapter 13, verse 5. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The second thing I want us to see is the scope of God's assurance to Joshua, but also to us. In verse 9, he tells Joshua that he will be with him wherever you go. The Hebrew word for the phrase wherever you go is just one word. And it means literally to go or to walk. In other words, wherever your feet are. Wherever you go, wherever you step, God is saying, I'll oh, be there. May I tell you, there's never been a time, a moment in your life that God has not been there. From your first breath, to your first day of kindergarten, to every step in your journey in life, God has been there. What God is saying to Joshua, and I believe to us as well, is regardless of what you're going through, regardless of your circumstances, I'm not going to take my eye off of you. I'm not going to let, let go of you. I'm not going to let you loose. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. That's why we can receive our inheritance. We can trust that God is going to be good to us with his, our inheritance, not because of us, but because of God. And the third thing in this passage that we can be assured with is that God is faithful in his word, in his commands, in his law. We live in a microwave world. What do I mean by that? We want everything quick, but there's no microwavable holiness, right? We can't go to a drive-up window at the church and order, uh, get an order of holiness and walk away. There's no special formula. There's no five-step program for holiness. Holiness comes from time spent with God and in His Word. That's how God begins to bring holiness in our lives. So to be courageous, Joshua needed to be filled with God's Word you look at verse 8 this is what it says it says keep this book of the law always on your lips meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful the Lord tells Joshua to be filled with God's word and there's three things that need to take place and all three in this one verse the first is to know God's word he says keep this book of the law always on your lips and so uh, to be able to speak God, God's word, we have to know God's word. And Jesus was able to effectively thwart Satan's temptations against him because he knew God's word. Jesus had an understanding of the word and was able to use it effectively as a weapon against Satan. This is also what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. He said, Be diligent to present yourselves Approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to constantly be in God's word and learn what it says if we want to live lives of effectiveness and courageousness. It's not enough to know God's word, we also need to meditate on God's word. It says in the middle of the ver- this verse, You shall meditate on it day and night. To meditate on God's Word means to ponder God's Word. That is to turn it over and over again in our hearts and our minds. Okay, A cruder analogy would be that we need to chew on God's Word like a cow chews on its cud, right? To continue to bring it back up and chew on it over and over again. This is what Mary did when she heard from the angel the word of the Lord that she was going to be the one who delivered the Messiah, the Son of God, that would be born from her. And then she also heard words of encouragement from the shepherds. And we're told in Luke chapter 2 that Mary kept all of these things and, and pondered them in her heart. Mary continued to turn it over and over again in her heart, and she continued to reflect on these words that had been brought to her. So when we ponder God's word, we meditate on it until it becomes firmly entrenched in our hearts, in our lives. It involves hiding God's word deep within our hearts so that we don't sin against God. We don't continue to sin against God. This is what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 119, verse 11. He says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word meditate in the Hebrew language, means not only to go the, over this matter again and again in our minds, but it also means to go around muttering it on our lips. There's times I've been known to mutter. Diane can confirm this. So I speak to myself, kind of mumbling, and she'll be like, "What are you saying?" And I say, "Don't worry, I'm talking to myself." She hasn't yet put me in an insane asylum, but maybe someday. But here's the thing: what it's saying here is that literally we put God's word on our heart and on our mind, but then we begin to say it in our in our in our, in our In the words that we speak, we mutter it, literally, as we go throughout the day. And so God's confirming there's a direct connection between the mind, the heart, and the the mouth. The Bible says that the person that thinks in their heart, that, that that, that is who they are, what they think in their heart. That is who they are. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so the third thing in this verse is to apply God's word. At the end of the verse it says, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. We need to obey and apply God's word in our lives. The Apostle James says it this way in James 1. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so James is saying we're only deceiving ourselves if we read God's word and we believe it, but we don't do it. We're deceiving ourselves. So if we want to enter into the promises of God then we need to start obeying and applying God's word in our lives. Do you see the faithfulness of God in your life? Or do you mutter and, and complain? When, you, when we look back over our lives, will we have the insight to see God's great work and his great greatness displayed in our lives? You know, a well-known psychologist named Erickson developed a theory of aging in which he kind of uh, developed a number of stages throughout life. And so the last stage of life he called integrity versus despair. He thought a person could look back over their life and see satisfaction or see unmet goals in their life. And it would result in one being integrity and wholeness and the other being despair. And as I've already mentioned, the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, Thomas Chisholm wrote over 1,200 hymns in his lifetime. Talk about a prolific writer, right? 1,200 hymns, that's amazing. And great as thy faithfulness was not written, nor could I, do I believe it could have been written in his youth. It was written much later in his life as he was able to look back over his lifetime and consider how God had been faithful to him and with him through all parts of his life. You know what? he used He could see God's word and God's commands and God's faithfulness as he looked back in his life. And as I conclude this morning in the message, I just want us to think about how do we apply these principles, these observations we see in, in, in chapter 1 of Joshua. I just want to ask you three questions. And I want you to look at these questions, and I want you to consider them, and maybe just take one of those questions and ask God, okay, which one of these are you wanting me to really take some time and consider? Okay, so here's the three questions. The first one is, what promise do you need to keep trusting that God will be faithful? You know, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of promises in God's word, right? And so many of these promises, some of them might be like what the uh, Israelites were feeling. God hadn't yet fulfilled the promise. Maybe he's not fulfilled the promise in your life. And you're wondering, is it ever going to happen? And you need to be reminded of God's faithfulness and his goodness, and that in his timing, he's going to bring that about. The second question, where do you need to trust that God is present, helping you through whatever circumstance you face? When we have hard things that we go through, we often feel like God is distant. God's not close. We wonder where he's at. But we know from this passage that God is with us. He's not going to forsake us. He's not going to leave us. So how do you need to be reminded of God's presence even as you go through a very difficult thing in your life? The third one is, what do you need to do to discover God's faithfulness in his word? So first, I would just suggest if you're not regularly reading God's word, That would be the first place to start is to begin to read. And you can always join us in kingdoms or there's, you know, the Gospel of John is a great place to start if you haven't read a lot of Scripture. And there's great reading programs. We're certainly going to be on a reading program as we go through Immerse. But there's other reading programs. We've got the U version app that we use on Sunday mornings. There are a few different reading programs they have which are fantastic. But if we want to know God's blessings, if we want to know how God is working in our life, what God promises us, we need to spend time learning about it and learning about Him and His Word. So I just want to encourage you, figure out, is the Holy Spirit asking you to spend some time reflecting on one of those questions? And then what are you going to do with that? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this word that came to Joshua so many years ago as he was going through the midst of a huge transition, facing a massive challenge to become the leader of the Israelites and to take on the challenge of leading them into the promised land. And God, thank you that you give him promises and the promises are still true today. That you, your promises, that you're faithful in your promises. God, that you are with us. You're not going to leave us or abandon us. And, God, that you're faithful in your word. And so, God, we pray today, What if whatever challenges that each of us are facing or we face as a group, God, give us that reassurance that you're with us and that you're faithful in your promises. God, we want to remain faithful. We want to be your people who are going to take on the kingdom challenges that you give to us. We want to be able to look back over the span of our lifetime and the life of our church and say, look at how God worked in our lives. God, may that be how you work with us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.